What's up, everyone? Welcome to Benchtown TV. My name is Jim, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tyler, and we are back with our coverage of the latest installment of the True Detective series, True Detective Night Country. Today, we're covering episode two, titled Part Two. But first, as always, a little Benchtown TV housekeeping. If you're listening from our True Detective feed and are not familiar with our other podcast coverage, then we just want to remind you that we cover so many different shows and we would love to have you as a listener for those as well. We recently covered The Fall of the House of Usher, Jujutsu Kaisen, and A Murder at the End of the World. And besides True Detective, we're currently covering Percy Jackson and the Olympians and Reacher Season 2. And coming up very soon, we have Apple TV Plus's Masters of the Air. So what I'm trying to say is that we cover a lot of TV, and we want you all to come for the ride. All you have to do is search Bingetown TV on any of your favorite podcast apps, or check us out at BingetownTV.com. Tyler. The Night Boys are back. Night Boys cometh, baby. I don't have a theme song for us. I told you I would, but <laughs> it's, it's tough. It's all good. I gotta, th- I gotta find some good music for us that we can license and. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but what I'll say is, this is your episode, Tyler. I gave the intro, but this is you, man. This is all you because the connection to season one of True Detective, you told us in episode one of this podcast that you've watched it far more times than you like to admit. I'm calling you the SME. I can't wait to talk to you about the connections. We did know last episode, and I don't know if this is on us or not. Usually I call out Easter eggs, but I mean, we knew about like Travis and the Lone Star Beer and certain connections, but we were just like, okay, cool. They're going to be Easter eggs, not thinking that it was going to be something like this. So Tyler, get this party started. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you. It's funny behind the curtains kind of create an itinerary to make the podcast not five hours long. And it's like, eh, I guess we don't have to go into these Easter eggs, these like nods, maybe homage to season one. I think we had a thing about it on Twitter or whatnot for any of us, that, mm-hmm, anybody mm-hmm. that's following on there. But then uh, this episode kind of blasts open with the fact that this is not in homage. This is uh, some serious, straight-up fictional connections between yeah. season one and season two. Four. Lance, yeah, season season one and season four, excuse me. <laughs> I wish there was I wish there was more com- connections yeah, between right? Bray Felcoro in uh, season one, but, you know, I guess we can all... I guess I'm just out on that one. But uh, shouts to Lanson50 on the Discord who threw out right away that Hey, you know, pretty shocking that we learn very quickly it was not in homage. Travis Cole was the significant other of Rose, and that was the ghost that we were seeing point her to the body. So for those of you that uh, are listening and Night Country is the first true detective you dove into, I apologize because we told you on this, yeah, is, uh, this is an anthology. Anthology. But- yeah, uh, season one of True Detective. I mean, look, to be honest, it's doing you a favor anyway. Just expedite. Oh, you can yeah. knock out season one in, in, in two days if you really want to. But yeah, yeah the, in season one of True Detective, uh, in the backstory of Russ Cole, who is Matthew McConaughey's character, in his older current day persona, he's explaining to detectives why he was out of the office, essentially, quote unquote, when he was going undercover. And the story was that he was going back to Alaska to check on his father, Travis, who was dying from leukemia. Well, we find out right away that while his dad's leukemia was not on record, which they tell us in season one, his dad Mm -hmm. did have leukemia and his dad was shacking up with Rose Agonor just... Making some croissants and going to fucking Mars, dude. And going <laughs> like, to Mars. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, look, I'd be eating wolf and seeing ghosts too if I hit the blunt that Rose <laughs> Agnol was, was was rolling in this last episode. But let me uh, let me jump in. Let me jump in. So first thing I want to say is we do apologize if you are listening and you haven't seen season one there's probably gonna have to be some spoilers Tyler gave enough background where it's not really spoiling too much for you but I'm sure we are gonna have to slip in some spoilers so we don't want to tell you to not listen to the pod but you might have to take that pause do yourself a favor like Tyler said two days knock it out come back on Thursday whatever it is listen to the episode and get right back on track with there, night country there we, there we go there also we go. I do have one correction that we have to make that Kathleen from Bingetown she called us out um, we were saying I believe you were saying it Tyler that Travis was the son of Rose when we were doing episode one on the pod I think it just slipped out by accident when you were saying it I don't think we no, said it multiple I, no times. I actually thought I thought okay, okay. at some point that she said my son Travis so 
That was part of the reason that I was like, the math doesn't add up because like Russ Cole is like the same age as Rose Aguinal and that's his grandmom. Like, I, yeah, but yes, I must have been hearing things and uh and then you and start I, episode two and they're going to Mars and and they're just making well, right love. When they, right <laughs> when it shows like, you know, he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, Travis came over, you know, made croissants, we fucked. I was like, that's definitely not his mom. It's definitely not his mom. So, yeah, um, I, I don't know why I thought that it was the mom from the last episode, but this this makes more sense continuity wise, at least. Yes, yes. Um, well, episode two I think we could call it, I've seen this joke flying around. My buddy, uh, Andrew Donovan, sent me over a text as well, calling the people corpse-sickles. So yeah, I think this could, probably, this could probably be the corpse-sickle episode of the show. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Just to start off, I think we got a bit of this, for those of you that watched The Last of Us, but... Max, HBO, whatever you want to call it. I mean, how much money does it take to create these bodies that are in ice frozen? Like, mm-hmm. pretty pretty nuts. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I was just, I think part of the episode when they're moving the bodies around or digging them out or whatever, my mind goes to like, I can't believe that somebody like had to, cre- it's like, hey, you have to create these six lifelike or seven lifelike corpses um, right. And we're going to put them in ice and, and then thaw them out. And I mean, that by itself is something that is always like, you know, so it's gotta be, to me. I agree. It's got to be something like the wax museum or something, you know, and those things take forever. But, That's you know, a they're, of, they're yeah. considered a lot of, lot of, lot of work. And there's one or two and they travel around the country and people go and visit them. We were talking about six of them just for this TV show with, I guess, seven, our seventh homies missing. So I guess, but the six that they have, they're in contorted, uh, it's unbelievable. So yes, it was seven bodies. One of them is maybe the creepy, like, Talk about creepy when that guy Lund, the main uh, the main guy, oh, is yes, still you're alive. Right, you're right, right. They break yes. his arm off, and he's just like, Mah! it's like, oh my god, how <laughs> that was crazy. That was crazy. I was like, wait a second, is that him screaming? Like, what what am I watching here, dude? I thought there was like a zombie situation going on at first. I was getting a call back to. Uh, to seven in the scene oh in seven when the, guy, when, yeah. when the one corpse is actually alive. That was sloth, right? The that guy, sloth, yeah, I the guy, the guy from Scrubs is like, Jesus Christ, when they <laughs> see that. <laughs> the that statute body. of limitations is gone on seven. That was a crazy scene, which I believe yeah. it's sloth. Yeah, that was that was sloth. That was sloth. But getting back on it, quick rundown, because as you know from this pod, we do a rundown, but then we're just gonna go in a million different directions. But yep. in this episode, we dig out the corpse sickles, right? We okay. Okay. get more in we get more insights into the past and current relationships of both Danvers and Navarro, our two protagonists, mm-hmm. learn a little bit more about the connections between this season and season one. Um, mm-hmm. Give us a new meaning to something that will come back to the end of the pod, asking the right question, Jim, because that's what this episode is also all about, asking the right questions, which leads us to find at the end of the episode that Clark, the which on the last pod we talked about was the paleo microbiologist that mm-hmm. is wearing Annie Kay's coat. Uh, we find that he is not one of the corpse, one of the corpses. So we right. have one of the eight folks from Slough Station that is on the move, kind of setting us up for an exciting manhunt, if you will. Jim, Corpse Sickle, the episode where, you know, maybe we all went to Mars. What do you mm-hmm. think? Oh, my goodness. I am fully in. We talked about this in episode one. True Detective, most people fell a little bit into season two and three. I have to admit myself, I haven't watched season three because season two got me. You can't admit this. (laughs) Yeah, right? Not on the pod, dude. It's out there. So you said it before, Tyler. Season two is good television, but you're talking about True Detective here. You put the slogan True Detective and you're expecting a masterpiece. So comparable, I was very disappointed. So either way... um, 
I was in for this season no matter what. But there were some people that were saying, you know, oh, it seems a little slow. There's six episodes and you're not giving us enough in episode one. I don't agree with that. I know you don't agree with that. We were in by the time episode one already aired. But if you're not in by now, there's something crazy about you because this episode was great. And it's one of those things like they give us a little bit and they take it back. More questions are being asked, but they're giving us some, some answers. The connections are a little dangerous, Tyler. They're a little dangerous because you have to hope that this season is really good if you're going to connect it to True Detective Season 1, right? So far, they're meeting it, and I believe it Shoot has been shot, really good. Shoot your shot, man. That's, that's all I got to say. I mean, what are, yeah. what, what is Isa Lopez leaving it on the bench for, you know? Just go out there and, and do it. Um, yeah. Look, the funny thing is the Travis connection, when it came up and we were talking about it more before we potted last and in between last, I was like, you know what? I, I got to go back and just hear what Russ says in season one to figure out this Travis connection, you Mm -hmm. know, five days and five hours go by. Uh, and you know, I've rewatched season, season one all over again by accident (laughs) in the past week, but it's, and it's actually paying off just some of the, some of the Easter eggs or, or just information in this episode is even calling back to more of it, uh, which we'll get into, but let's talk a bit about, a few of the kind of points of tension that we talked about last episode, we saw mm-hmm. them come to more of a light. So in our boy Kavik, the guy that's that's banging Navarro and has the SpongeBob toothbrush. Toothbrush, in, yep. In his bar, we see a fight between the mining community and the local community over the quality of the water. So right. kind of calling back, just really trying to you know, intentionally show you as the viewer, hey, this is a pretty ex- explosive situation. It also gives us some context to really know, like, look, Annie Kay stabbed 30 times, tongue cut yep. out, beaten. There's a lot of hatred in that in that murder, right? And we're seeing that there's a lot of emotion in the town between the mining being something that really keeps the town afloat versus something that's killing the town, which mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, cannot be cannot be easy. That comes to a head with us getting one of the miners being interrogated and ultimately telling Navarro that Clark, the really creepy, you know, paleo microbiologist mm-hmm. that we talk about, bought a trailer from his cousin seven years ago, which what what do you know, seven years ago is when the murder of Annie Kay happened. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things that come from this. So while, okay, he bought this trailer, we find out later in the episode that that's where, you know, a lot of things could have potentially happened. That's got a, that's, there's a lot of things going on in there. A couple of things to just keep in the back of our mind. Doesn't mean anything right now, but Silver Sky Mining is the company that does the mining. So let's just keep that. That's where the dorm is. And something that maybe it's not a big deal, but we're looking at the economy of this area, right? They've been drawing us, you know, they're in the grocery store, cookies cost $20, Arctic prices. It's not like anybody's really living lavish, right? So I'm going to keep coming back to money because True Detective is about the dark bullshit secrets that exist in the world of greed, corporate etc. And yep. we've got Salal Station, which we'll get back to who funds that in the future. Yeah. But Clark has 10 grand cash to pay for an old beat up trailer to someone, right. which seven years ago, I mean, that's a lot of, yeah, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of any part. That's a lot of quiche right now, seven years past, but in this town in particular, I mean, the way that the guy who's interrogated talks about it, who yeah. I'm not taking that guy off the suspect list for killing Annie K, by the way, sketched out no. by him. But yeah. or his bone cancer cousin. But <laughs> bone cancer, yeah. <laughs> let's 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 hear more about it. But what did you take from just learning a bit more about the folks in the mine? Yeah. Or or even like if you want to tie it to talking, tell me what you thought about like the the trailer and how that all stitched together. Yeah. So number one, I'm out on the Mad Hatter syndrome, Tyler. You kind of told me to be out on it, and we didn't know enough last episode, but I know enough now that I'm I'm out on it, okay? So this is a very important 
scenario here that we're talking about when it comes to the bar and the throwdown and the conversation after. Because something that we talked about episode one is that Annie could have been killed and most likely she was beaten afterwards. She could have been dead and dumped there. And then, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, the miners hated her because of who she was. She was the protester. She was uh, totally against them. She doesn't have to be learned about the Mad Hatter syndrome and the Mercury. She's against the mines, and they hate her. And this guy right here that's being interrogated, I mean, first of all, he says to Navarre, like, oh, yeah, I knew, but I'm not going to tell you because I hated you if you wanted to ask me the truth. And then she says, like, no, no, that's not it. It's because you are okay with what happened to Annie. Like, that was devastating part of the scene you know and he doesn't mm-hmm. he just looks down like he doesn't say a word yeah. he doesn't fight back and be like no way he just looks down devastating so yes this isn't very important it's gonna be something probably where we could talk about if we actually think clark's the killer if we think it's some other entity at a later date but um you know it seems like maybe she was killed and dumped then there was a scenario with this mining community and the people in the town and it's just yes it's it's a very big part um the trailer was crazy the trailer itself was <laughs> awesome creepy, yeah it, it was yeah. creepy as hell are we going with that is just like a dummy on the bed or I read online yeah, I don't people were trying to say a... mummified or like, but yeah, I think it's just a dummy. Yeah, it looks like a really creepy sock puppet, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> so honestly, if we want to just throw a quick theory out there, now I'm not fully into it. Like, I'm not really going to just say Clark's the killer. I mean, it's episode two. There's plenty to go around here. Four episodes left. He could be a red herring. But let's just say that Clark does it out of love and his craziness right he's obsessed with her he kills her he kills her in that bed he cuts her tongue out whatever dumps her if he has to dump her and that's like his shrine to her so he replaced it with a puppet of her with all of the pictures all around don't know if that's real i don't know if that's going to be what it is but uh it was creepy as hell i mean all the pictures of annie all around the bed everything hanging from the walls amazing acting by both actresses with the creepiness. Yeah, I mean, you got to think about the fact that these two have probably never seen anything like this at all in their lives, even though they've yeah. just seen these six, seven frozen bodies. They looked more disturbed by this tra- trailer than they did when they saw the bodies. Yeah, we've got, you know, animal bones. We've got her cracked phone. We've got sock puppets. We've got the Carcosa symbol. Yeah. Uh, which is showing up multiple times. Uh, that is, for those of you that didn't see season one, the spiral tattoo that they're referencing and what looks to be on one of the, the corpse sickles heads um, <laughs> is a is a marking from season one. And that was the one that uh, actually was alive. He ended up being alive. That's yeah, the one. Yeah, that, and yeah. that's tied mm-hmm. to like, and again, Carcosa is something that they call it, but it's, it's just more of like devil worship. And they, the cleaning women actually mention, oh, you know, this is like devil worship or something like that. But look, they're also tying back, you know, Rose Agonal, while she is, you know, just blazing, getting high as a kite, <laughs> she says, yeah. look, the world's been around for a long time. And if the world's growing old, Ennis is literally like the first the part of the world that is breaking open between the spirit world and yeah and the and the current world we live in so my wife uh shout out to my wife who noticed that noticed when they find the trailer there's a dead bird upside down outside that they show us when they're when they're outside um Mm -hmm. and that in some cultures uh, an upside down bird is more of an indication of like a spiritual bind between two areas, like a, okay. a welcoming of the spirit world. So great catch. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was, it was good. And we've also learned that, look, that was the tongue is Annie case. Danvers says to Navarro, Hey, the tongue had some type of damage done to it. Uh, looks like it could have been frozen damage, but you know, who knows? Uh, we have to imagine Clark had it and was doing some type of testing on it. Microorganism guy. With his <laughs> microorganisms, whatnot. Um, yeah. And that kind of ties us into right in the beginning of this episode, Danvers goes to a school to find one of her, as we find out, many uh, suitors. Hmm. Um, Lovers. And when he's mentioning Salal Station, he's saying, look, they're digging in the ice for microorganisms that at the end of the day, the research on some of these more historic things, some people believe could be the answers to 
cancers and different sickness and things of that nature. Uh, but he does throw in there, like, it's funny, though, because what they're doing is just, you know, not going to work because yeah. the ice mm-hmm. damages, you know, a lot of this. So that's my extremely non-scientific Scientific, layman's yeah. terms of explaining it. But it goes to show that, you know, these guys are, like we talked about in the first pod, they're doing a lot of tests on ice looking for microorganisms from prehistoric times. And we've got Clark who is fucking nuts with a tongue that he's preserving from Annie K doing God knows what with it. So, you know, the spiritual side of this show, I'm finding it to be a lot. I'm thinking about it so far, a lot more similarly to Russ's character in season one, which is he uses it to explain kind of what other people would call like his psychosis or his, right. you know, his, how yes. strange he is. But because different plot devices telling the story of this show, this show is kind of using more of the spiritual world in actually showing it to us, right? Yes. Through the perspective of these other people. Um, right. And that's going to be, you know, whether this murder from Andy Kay and the, and the scientists is, you know, corporate greed or, mining accident all the way down to like a fanatical person, there's going to be a lot of spiritual spirituality tied into the season through that and Navarro, which um, I'm excited for. You know, I think, I think that makes the show a lot more interesting to me just in terms of not really knowing, you know, where, where they're going with it. Yeah, I agree. I think that they did lean more into the spirituality versus if it's even the right way of saying it versus supernatural. I mean, they could be, considered similar or they could be considered different like this episode there wasn't as much unexplainable things happening i mean still how were they frozen like that and tyler i'm jumping on your train we talked about prestige tv gotta watch the trailer for the next step and there is a part where the person says they don't you don't freeze to death like that that's not how you get frozen in time Mm -hmm. and we talked about that in episode one there's definitely something weird going on so supernatural spirituality it's all on the table the only thing from this episode and and this is i'm just gonna say it now it's not even that huge of a deal might as well just throw it on the table um episode one we have the scene where danvers is in bed and her son puts his hand on her and then she looks down and sees the polar bear with the eye missing and then Mm -hmm. navarro sees the polar bear the actual real life polar bear with its eye missing but then we get a real life polar bear though right right exactly yeah who knows right is she seeing right and then this episode though we're getting into unreliable narrator stuff because she's trying to set up this christmas tree and she accidentally opens the decorations in in the wrong box and goes oh shit here's this polar bear in in the flesh, if that's the right way of saying it, in real life, when I'm guessing now we have to assume that in episode one she rolled over and it was probably not there. It was probably just her. Yeah, yeah. I think the unreliable narration stuff. stuff is a good point out of you because again, how do they take a show that is in some ways formulaic and a real mystery and condense it from eight to six episodes? And a lot of that is less telling us what's going on, more showing us what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. And I think we have to say right now that seeing the world through Navarro or Danvers' eyes, they are unreliable narrators. We do not know if what they're seeing... (laughs) Well, Rose, that's a given, yeah. (laughs) She's going to Mars. Yeah, I'm not taking anything Rose says on face value. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, they're, um, they're very much going through, like their own grief, their own trauma, and their own mm-hmm. ties to individuals that have passed away. And the show is going to give us glimpses of that through their sight lines and not through them being like, oh man, I remember when there was a polar bear to- toy here. Yeah. It's just, so yeah, I, I do like you calling that out. And that kind of drives me into the point of, let's talk about relationships. Biggest kind of, pieces that we were able to put together this episode were on the Danvers side. What I mean by Mm -hmm. relationships is, you know, we know Leah is, I still don't know if it's her daughter or her significant other's daughter. Given the way that they talked to each other in the first episode, I'm still going with, you know, it's her significant other's daughter, but we learn about a guy named Jake who 
was, you know, on and off again in a relationship with with Liz Danvers when Liz is doing some of the uh, worst pillow talk, you know, back and forth with <laughs> with the yeah. guy after afterwards. They're talking about like timeline wise. Oh, 19 years ago. Oh, you were with Jake then? No, we were on one of our many breaks. Well, right then and there, that kind of throws out my theory of like, maybe she's from Minneapolis. Maybe people in Alaska are just Vikings fans. Anybody that cares about my sports life knows that I'm my memoirs once I'm retired will be about fanhood and the fraudulence of fanhood. I got to learn out, learn what these people in Alaska are being coming fans of. I would have figured maybe they were Seahawks fans, but maybe we're, maybe they're Vikings fans, Jim. I will say, let me uh, actually shout somebody out on our Twitter account. Somebody, somebody hit us up um, at Binstown TV pod. If you're looking for us and will their name is, and they gave us a lot of information about Alaska itself about, there's a lot of stuff here. It's a lot of, tweets thank you for that and yes and we're not going to read it here obviously just because it's a lot but we do want you guys to check it out go on our twitter and just look for our true detective tweets and you can find all of the comments that were made and and there's some good ones some good historical stuff that we had no idea about and maybe they'll be able to tell us about this sports stuff tyler maybe it is just uh you know they're a little fraudulent yeah yeah well either way it seems like danvers was in Alaska or Anchorage or wherever 19 years ago um, in a relationship on and off again with Jake, whether the son that it looks like has passed away as well was hers Mm -hmm. or not. We don't know, but we do see him in more heartbreaking fashion for her. So (laughs) relationship wise, we know Danvers, something happened, you know, with her on and off again, husband or significant other named Jake, Jake was Leah's dad. Mm-hmm. The kid we see that is part of all these flashbacks is in it as well. Um, and Danvers being tied to her captain, Ted Connolly, it also kind of pulls and ping-pongs back and forth the idea of like, okay, was it their relationship that got her moved to yeah. NS because he wanted to get her far away from, from him? They kind of give us that information. So the Danvers character was... Got a lot more flushed out. We also saw um, her being, I mean, I don't even know what to say besides she was uh, she was being a little bit uh, aggressive towards, as she called it, the, nice, the night nurse and laundromat grandma yeah. watching her daughter. So she's got, there's, there's something going on with her character too, where she's got a lot of um, protectiveness over some of the indigenous culture and how it relates to... Leah, which we don't we don't know right now, but it's worth noting for the future episodes yes. that it's gonna be some tie there. Maybe you know, maybe that's what got her son or or Jake killed. We don't know. Um, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I felt like this episode they really did a good job of continuing to flush out Danvers' character, where I feel like they can kind of move her forward now, and I and I feel like I know where she's at. What you did you think, enough. Jim? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. She's very uh, very aggressive. Not nice. It's said in the episode that the only person who is actually being nice to her and for some reason likes her is Hank's son, who we'll get into him in a little bit. But yeah, it's just she's she's mean right now. She's not nice. She's not a nice lady right now. But she's got a it's lot of really trauma. hard to not say some of the some of the other things that you know, <laughs> you know everybody at home is thinking. But you can say yeah. it in your mind. Relationship wise, her and her and Navarro uh, kind of meeting up in Navarro's home. She knew where Navarro's canned goods used to go. So they clearly were pretty close in the past. Close. Uh, a little bit more so than maybe we um, maybe we thought in the first episode. So it's going to be interesting to see them get back to it. Give us a rundown about what we learned about Navarro. What do you think about her character this yeah. episode? Let's rewind back to what you just said. So we have this scenario, the situation where they're in the kitchen Danvers pretty much is making it seem like they had a very close relationship at one point. In episode one, we were assuming that it was Navarre's obsession with the Annie case that kind of broke them apart. But we were saying, like, kind of like, what's the deal? And it is asked to her at separate times in this episode, like, what's the deal with you and Navarro? 
Now, we do get something that comes up where Navarro says, I don't remember the name. If you have it written down, Tyler, hit me <laughs> it's up. It's Wheeler. Wheeler. Yeah, the Wheeler case. Like, you know, it's one of those, like, we do what we had to do. And she's like, don't <laughs> talk about it. <laughs> you know, don't you dare bring that up. <laughs> and obviously, up it seems case. like there's, there's going to be more to learn there. There's going to be a case that they work together that they must have done something and it somehow broke them apart. And. Again, we'll get more about that. Navarro in general, uh, we got some more with her and her boy. And hilarious when he's Kavik. in the tub Love and she it. scares uh, yeah, the shit Kavik out of him. Yeah, killing, just killing me. <laughs> yeah. He's like, so uh, you, you want you want to get that? And she's like, nah, I'm good. And then he's, <laughs> and then he's in the <laughs> yeah, tub. Then, he, and then, she... then, he's, then he's spent in the tub. <laughs> Yeah, I love, yeah. their relationship is good. And I like how it shows you that they're kind of ping-ponging off each other. Um, mm-hmm. she, he is not just her fuck buddy, but her confidant. He seems to know, you know what's going on in her life and what she's thinking about and all the things with Annie Kay. So It was very good where they do the situation with the, the wolf and, they're ex- and he's talking to her basically about her, you know, and she's like, all right, Mm -hmm. dude, F you, and walks away. But he's telling the truth. Like, that's giving us more information about Navarro in a way that's just not throwing it in our face. It's just a nice way to explain it. He's sitting there with the wolf, and, you know, she thinks she's a badass, and she's all aggressive, and she might snap at you, but really she just wants a little love. And, I mean, as far as I know, that's that seems like Navarro's character right now, you know? And she would want to be more probably if she wasn't so protective and doing that I'm going to snap at you with Kavik. So we're going to get some more but I think they're doing great at fleshing out both of our main characters here and and helping us understand where they're coming from. Two episodes in, we're already one third of the way through the season, but I do feel comfortable with what we've got so far. Yeah, I think we're ready to kind of blast off from here. We have a lot of backstory. Uh, just to quickly hit on some of our other, not the main characters, but important characters. So Hank Pryor, the the gentleman who is who is from Eastbound and Down. Um, a <laughs> yeah. couple things to just to note with him. So one, he is along with every other police officer. Very much okay with them taking, you know, peace sign selfies with the corpses yeah. from this. But he's he, trying to blow off could, some steam. Yeah, they they gave us a little bit more to to show us that okay, this guy's just kind of an asshole. Maybe he is incompetent. To go to our last to our question before, but we can't know anything yet. But I just am putting it out there that I wouldn't be too sure. Couple things. He knew exactly where the Annie K case was when that was stolen from him. Uh, he knew it right away, smacks his son. His son mentions that he's an animal and was raised by animals. So mm-hmm. again, I think he might be a little bit more capable than the show is leading him on to be. And yes. secondly, he's got this, you know, mail order bride coming that he's messaging with. Um, and he says to her, I've still got a little cash left. I'll send you more for your medication. Again, going back to money, which we talked about earlier in the episode, where is that cash coming from? Is that Mm -hmm. left over? You know, my mind goes to, okay, maybe there's some type of Annie K cover up that got him a payday and a windfall that, you know, is the money that he has. Maybe that's tied to the trailer being sold for all we know. Right. Yeah. Um, A lot of things, a lot of things to consider, but Given the way that they're positioning money, I don't think that we should just blow over the fact that he's got a little money left to just send to a random stranger who we can all agree is probably catfishing him. But, you know, that, that that's we'll figure we'll figure that out later. Um, and then with his son, Pete, Pete Pryor, more of what we got from him was more the dependence and the reliance on Danvers. But just seeing a little bit more of his capability, the same way Kavik is helpful in providing some narration for Navarro's character. We got our first glimpse of one of my favorite scenes in the episode, which is the ask the right question exercise that Danver Mm -hmm. is consistently hitting Pete Pryor with. And that not only helps talk through what the characters are thinking in the episode, but I really did enjoy how it gives you a sense for what is this guy's skill? And, he was, he's pretty sharp, right? He's yes. thinking about the crime in terms of, 
You know, he even throws a polar bear in there. I think that's, you know, a red herring. Maybe the polar bear chased them out. But um, he is definitely very capable, and he's doing all the grunt work that led to figuring out about the Carcosa tattoo and all those different things. So interesting to see his development as a character and his relationship with Leah, which is pretty strong. Um, so again, just putting him in a spot where, you know, I feel like we can kind of push forward with his character and I, and I kind of know what I want to know about, about him and his family. Do you agree on that, Jim? Yeah, I do. He's going to be the character that we're going to be able to trust with Navarro and Danvers to work this case. He isn't necessarily just going to be the guy that I talked about in episode one where we need something from your dad. Go sneak into the house and grab the case file. He is going to be more capable and more helpful than I at least realized and I at least thought. He's in training technically. He seems young, but he is the right-hand man to Danvers at this time. He basically is what we would think the Navarro to Danvers before mm-hmm. you know, Navarro and Danvers broke up and Navarro became a trooper. So, yeah, he's going to be a lot more involved than we realized. And, yes, he has been asking the right questions. He is a smart kid. He's having this experiment, this this talk through with Danvers, and she is grooming him just like she groomed Navarro because we see the scene later where Navarro is talking to Kavik, and she's like, that's the wrong question. He's like, what are you talking about? And she's like, oh, no, that's what Danvers would have been saying to me. Like, you know, she yep. is... You know, and that even tells us more about Danvers herself. We already knew from episode one she's very capable as well. She's a smart police officer, but it's just given us more and more information about how good she actually is, even though at times they might not want us to realize that either. It's a good point. It's a good point. Well, look, we've kind of in different back and forth run through the main plot points that were driving this episode. Um, Leah digging more into her indigenous background. We're learning more of the dynamic between Jody, which is uh, the significant other and baby mama to Pete and her mm-hmm. dynamic within Danvers family. And just some of that back and forth, um, as well as the town itself, uh, supply guy was talking to Pete yep. and saying, look, you know, I, I saw somebody, but I could have just thought I saw somebody. So the night country, you were only four days into the darkness and People know that, hey, we kind of see stuff. They're laying the groundwork for that. But before we wrap up, I'm thinking a segment that could be, throwing this at you on the fly, Jim, but a segment that could be good as we move forward these next couple episodes. At the end of season one, episode one, Russ Cole has a pretty infamous line that goes along the lines of, then start asking the right fucking questions, right? Mm -hmm. Um, given Danvers, I want us each to throw out there what we think the right question right questions are. What's the right question for the future episodes that we as the viewers should be asking? And Jim, because I'm just throwing this out you at left field, I'm gonna lead it off because I obviously okay. thought about the question that I want to ask. And my question, simply put, is what is the role of Tuttle United? Yeah. So what I mean by that, the first episode, Danvers asks Pete to trace back how the Sala station is being ran and who's funding it. And we've yep. seen the Sala station in comparison to the houses around, yeah. you know, Ennis, Alaska. And it's a pretty, seems like a pretty sweet pad, if we if we can mm-hmm. say that. Mm-hmm. And there what is a connection. He, it is the connection yep, to season one. So yep, continue. So what we go back to is the NGO is funded by NC Global Strategies. NC Global Strategies, I don't know, if we're going back to the South, maybe that's North Carolina, something to that effect, but NC Global Strategies, maybe Carcosa, I don't know. <laughs> but if we're going back, Tuttle United, and for those of you who watch season one, Reverend Tuttle is... A a big part of the cover-up that's happening in season one, which becomes pretty apparent from the beginning. And his brother is the senator of Louisiana, Senator Tuttle. At the end of season one, Senator Tuttle is essentially blocked out and removed from the Childress side of the family and everything else. And Russ Cole kind of leaves us with, you know, we didn't get them all. 
right? So mm-hmm. Tuttle is a very common theme of, even if we're just going with the the homage of Tuttle, season one taught us that Tuttle is like, this is a fucked up organization, right? Yeah, um, right. Did that stick out like a sore thumb to you? And if so, what do you, what do you think uh, about that question? Is that the right question to be asking, That's Jim? That's the right question, I think, Tyler, because, yes, it stuck out to me. And going back to what you said about Hank, I have a lot of quiche. I have some extra quiche to mess around with, right? Yeah. Are they covering true. up something that Clark did years ago? You know, is one of their scientists going to cause a controversy for them because they funded this station and then Annie's death happens. They need to cover it up. Hank's the, now there's something also that we didn't really talk about. I think we have here and there and we've like kind of alluded to it. It does seem like Hank was the chief before Danvers was appointed because there is a thing that says that it feels like that for sure. Yeah. There's a scene where she says like uh, Hank had to take you off the case. Like if he's doing Mm -hmm. that, then he's probably the chief. So, uh, when she got reassigned, she probably took his job. So at the time of the big murder, he's the chief. He's the one who can bury it, paying him yeah. that cash money, bury that shit, and move forward. Yep, Why does he want to hide the case file? All that kind of stuff. Hey, I think that I also, that's going to be a connection. Yeah, and I also like, I just like the show, like, staying to its roots of looking at kind of like, in it. Reverend Tuttle is tied to a huge, you know, more religious, cultish piece in season one. But it kind of speaks to the idea of like these mega churches that they're running schools and they're doing this and they're doing that. And there's a lot of companies out there, you know, Fortune 500, humongous companies that when you Google them, you can't really determine what their main thing that they do is. Similar to this. I wrote down when he was when he was listing them off what I caught, but he said like video games, cruises, palm oil, and they're funding a station that is digging up prehistoric ice uh, in yeah. Alaska. So what is the Tuttle Corporation's role in this is something that I think is really going to drive us moving forward. And whether it is to fund a cover-up in this small town all the way to being maybe even more entrenched in what happened to Annie Kay. I got my eyes on you, Tuttle. You're not sneaking past me for a second season. Do you have it? What about like you, Jim? You gotta, I got one more question if I'm putting you on the spot too much. I, okay. I, what do you got for me? So this would be a question for me and you to consider, and I don't think it's going to really help us with how the season is going to end or anything like that. But what is the role of the mines? Is it going to be just the tension of the town? And that's fine. Mm. That is totally fine. Yeah. It does seem like if we're correct, and if you're correct, that Tuttle might be the corrupt... I mean, maybe Tuttle owns the mines. I mean, I don't know anything about yeah, that Silver kind of stuff. Sky we know Mining, the lady. who owns that? It might be owned by Tuttle, yeah. Tuttle International, right? Or- I mean, uh, all of a sudden, we're going to start getting into digging in, digging in to the mines, and yes, like nice. you said, maybe Tuttle owns them as well, and there is some connection. Is it going to be that this is just going to show us the tension in the town, and it's about to... Ex- this place is about to explode, T-Money. Or... <laughs> Is there more of a connection? And either way is completely fine. They're telling the story very well if it's just the tension part of it. That's just giving us world building. I'm okay with that. But that could be a question that we want to ask that we're going to have to get answered if we want to decide, is it just going to be all on title, or if we're even right about that? Or is it going to be connected to the mines? Are they going to be separate entities? I love that. And my last nugget, I don't know where it leads, but... As a true detective historian, I have to call it out. The woman who works in the cleaning in the at the crab shack or whatever that gets hit yeah. in the first episode. When yes, this episode, yes, yes. when Danvers is asking, what is Carcosa to the cleaning woman? She hands it and says, have you seen this before? And the woman says, no. But her face when she walks away. Is and disturbed. she's the... Yeah, and she's the age of like the Annie, uh, you know, situation. So I got my, Mm -hmm. I got my very attentive true detective sights set on that woman. 
What are you doing? What do you know? Listen, listen, Tyler. <laughs> episode one, episode one gives us that scene where we're introduced to her. And that is a good way to show us who Navarro is. And you explain that perfectly in episode one. But we're seeing her there and we're seeing her again. And they're zooming in a little bit on that face. Is she yeah. just to give us some background information on who Navarro is, or is she going to matter more to the story here? If I never saw her again, I would have said the uh, I would have said the former. But you're not going to sneak that sketched out Carcosa looking face past me uh, without mm-hmm. me going. Okay, okay, we're coming back for a landing. I don't think I don't think in six episodes we're just going to be throwing out scenes. So um, that was ask the right fucking questions with. The Night Boys. With the Night Boys. (laughs) The Night Boys. So, the scene where we actually get the phone. We called it out. We said, that phone has to be opened, okay? Our boy Pete, the smart young thing he is, he figured that out when Danvers couldn't. Use that face recognition. We get into the phone. They're dancing around. They're doing some weird-ass shit. But then we get the part where the guy is making the TikTok, and we see it actually happen on... The video. It could have been unreliable narrator. It could have been anything, but it actually happens. And he says the words. The words come out of his mouth, and everything goes black. Yup. Any yeah. thoughts on that? I mean, that's now that's like even getting back into the supernatural versus the what? I don't know. I yeah, don't know I don't, where that what that is. Like, it's the sound sounds like a microwave is happening every time before Clark turns around and says she's awake, and then the lights in the place just like the circuit breaker goes off. Uh, maybe I'm missing off like something, a little device or whatever. Maybe I'm missing what something. Those... I have, I have no idea how that happened. <laughs> I haven't seen There's anything like a... that could tell us that. I mean, yeah, they're scientists and what are those like, what are they EMP devices or what are those things that you, I don't know. You it's make like... And then it can turn off all the yeah. power and, and yeah, the ability to have the lights go off like that and a star shaped object are the two things that I am looking for that I have not found because the star shaped mm-hmm. object is what, you know, they keep mentioning that Annie Kay had 30 star shaped yes, yes, wounds, yes. right? So I'm always, every time we go somewhere, I'm like, is that star shaped? But I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe. I don't think they would give us that yet because that would be a dead giveaway. But I think right for right now, kind of what's going on in that first scene with the electricity is another piece that I, I just don't, I don't feel confident that we have the answer to it at all. But I, but good job by a fellow night boy reminding us on that one because I didn't, it is funny. They, the seven guys are kind of like all chilling together, but we know yeah. that Clark, he would be soaking around sometimes naked and they would just ignore him. So they were just like yeah. out on this guy. Um, and I was digging the song that was the credit song for this episode. I could tell it was Florence and the Machine, who I'm a fan of. I shazammed it. And the song is called Seven Devils by Florence and the Machine. Ooh. Seven, if you include Lund, because there's eight yeah. of them, you take Clark out, seven devils. So maybe maybe we've got something there. I, and I know um, I had this on my Shazam, but some of my buddies were telling me other people noticed that too. So yeah, there's definitely, Great. it's a good call. There's some connection with um, the electricity, the, you know, these different pieces that we're going to have to wait. Something, we, got, we only got four episodes and we got to figure it out. So we're yeah, fine. we don't have to wait too long. But something that happens at that moment that scares the shit out of them so much that they get butt-ass naked and run out of the, the that station. Piece of it, that's like, we're asking all these questions, but like, I have no idea. It's not the right one, dude. Yeah, I mean, did Reverend Tuttle come back from the dead? And I don't know what, <laughs> but, but yeah, we still there's so much to uncover, which is what makes this show so great. Um, so well, that that's my all last, I've got, Jim. My, I got one thing you to got? say, and this is mostly a joke, but I just want to hear what you have to say when I say it to you. Is there any chance that Rust shows up in this season? The Tuttles, I there now, is definite. Look, they kind of right now in my eyes are having their cake and eating it too because guess what if he does show up it's being this is tied to Tuttle kind of the cliffhanger of him knowing that not all of this evil is taken out of the world I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back to his hometown 
But that being said, his father's dead. He has no reason yeah. outside of his father to come back. And what we're talking about with Tuttle United is tied to these murders, but we don't have anything to go with like the you know killing of women and children. Well, I guess Annie Kay is, falls in that. But it seemed like what Russ was more focused on in season one and all those connections was tied to like the nefarious happenings in the bayou. I just don't know if he would be like, let me go yeah. back to Alaska to get to the bottom of the Salal Station guys. It's yeah. like, I think it's Russ- a fine line. In the last 10 years since True Detective Season 1 came out of her being honest, his liver has probably exploded so. <laughs> <laughs> from the amount that he's so drinking. True. Yeah, it's a fine line. I brought this up early in the episode. You can have fun and, and, and connect it to Season 1, and they seem to be doing it very well so far, but you get to a certain point, there's a chance where someone goes, oh, I'm going to eye roll now. I'm not saying you can't add Russ back into the story, and I, and it's not phenomenal, but there is a chance where it's like, I don't need fan service. I need good writing. I need a good story here. It doesn't seem like they're going for fan service with this connection to season one. Everything seems legit, and it seems like some good stuff that we're dealing with right now. At first, you're like thinking, all right, it's paying homage. There's some Easter eggs. Oh, now we're connected. And these connections are subtle enough where podcasters and night boys like us and other people that write blogs and, and love TV shows can see the connections and then... You know, it's it's just enough where it's now it's getting a little obvious, but it's not like, hey, guys, we're connecting it to season one because we hope this season does great. You know, that kind yeah. of thing. No, yeah, it's we'll doing see. well. So we'll see. All right, guys, that is it. We will be back for part three next week. I'm having a blast with you, night boy. I can't wait to do episode three. This this episode really did it for me. I loved episode one, but episode two has me fully in it. It's got me by its grasps. Grasps. I am ready to go. So if Let's you like go. what you heard and you want to check out any of our other Benchtown TV content, we've covered over 100 TV shows. We're actually, I think, Tyler, this is our 500th episode. So clap, clap, clap. I, Woo, I'm pretty sure this is going to drop us 500. Baby. So we're sure that there's something else that we've covered that you'll love. If you like me and Tyler and the Nightboy dynamic, hit up the silo feed. You can check us out at BingetownTV.com, search Bingetown TV, or just search Bingetown Silo. That'll get you to Silo. But again, if you just subscribe to Bingetown TV, you get everything there. And that's the best way to support us. We don't need anything else except that subscription. You want to throw a review, we'll appreciate it. But the subscription makes us know that you're a homie and you appreciate it and you want to hang out with us. One more thing, though. Tyler, we really want this. We shouted out our Discord friend. We want you guys to talk to us. There's so much stuff to talk about for this. We could have talked for another two hours if we wanted to, but we're trying to keep it in an hour for you. So let's throw it on the Discord. We'll leave that in the show notes. Click on that Discord link. It's obviously free. A lot of podcasts have a paywall. We don't have any of that. We just want a community. We want you guys to hang out. Hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, any of that, or Discord. All right, that's it. We'll see you guys next week. Once again, we are Town TV, and thank you so much for listening. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.